little honey. It's the Album Nerds Podcast with dude and Andy. Andy, what the hell's happening, my friend? Hey, dude. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to the show. It's another edition of the Album Nerds Podcast. Today on the show, we're talking about two albums that are loosely connected that we're recommending to you. Oh, yeah. That's what's going on. Now, how loosely connected are these albums, and uh, what's the deal, dude? <laughs> it's pretty loose, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so how we're doing this, and we're kind of just making it up as we go here, but uh, one of us picks a record. In this case, the dude did. The other guy is charged with finding a record that has some sort of connection to it. Last, <laughs> <laughs> the last few times we've just been doing album title names, like uh, a word from the album title. Last time we did Blue. This time we're going to do the word Sonic. Oh, yeah. Yeah, man, because we were talking about this, you know, what to do, and and you said pick something out of your vinyl collection. Mm -hmm. And there's a lot there, and, you know, some of it, some of it I really wouldn't want to talk about, even though, you know, I don't want to talk. I love b listening to a Billy Ocean record once in a while, but I don't think anyone wants to, <laughs> wants to talk about that. No offense, Billy. I do love, I do love the album. Anyway, um, so I thought and thought and something that we haven't talked about, a band we haven't talked about on the show, and uh, finally we're going to. So I'm very excited to talk about the cult today. What, what did you bring to the table? So I'm bringing cult. Sonic Temple, and what did you bring to the table today, sir? So, yeah, I looked for uh, records that had Sonic or Temple in the name, which there's not a lot out there. Hey, Temple of the Dog, we could have talked about <laughs> that again. Temple of the Dog <laughs> and Sonic Highways were the two obvious ones, more recent ones. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we already talked about those. So I, I went way back to the 60s and picked out Here Are the Sonics by the Sonics, kind of like a very early indie rock band some shades of punk, so it'll be fun to dive into that. Cool, cool. All right, are are we? Is everyone ready to get Sonic? Let's Sonic. You recognize that from Sonic the Hedgehog? <laughs> oh, perfect. <laughs> I was actually considering the Sonic Hedgehog soundtrack for this. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> All right. So, we're talking about The Cult, and this is their 1989 record, Sonic Temple. Just a little background on the band, because you may not be familiar with them, or you may and you may not know it. Uh, they're a British rock band formed in 1983. They bounced around. They were first the Southern Death Cult, then they changed just to Death Cult, and then they were The Cult. They, uh, by the mid-80s, had had some hits. They kind of had a mm, psychedelic, gothic sort of post-punk sound and they had uh their second album love had some hits on it it was a really good album as well that was the one that has a seashells sanctuary <laughs> she sells sanctuary yeah a really good song but you can hear it sounds a little more 80s -y than what we're going to be talking about today and their sound kind of evolved. So after after that record with uh, She Sells Seashells Down by the Seashore, the album was called Love. And I almost picked that one to talk about today. Uh, then they had an album called Electric, which was a little more rock influenced and was produced by Rick Rubin. But then that was in 87. Then in 89, out comes this wonderful record, their biggest hit album. Sonic Temple uh, came out in April of 1989, and uh, it was recorded in Vancouver, British Columbia. It's about 52 minutes long. It's on uh, Beggar's Banquet. 
All right, so why don't we jump into the record? We're going to play Firewoman. All right, bro, so you knew that song, right? Yeah, I think everybody's heard that song, right? If you've been at a roller skating rink in the 80s, uh, you've heard that song. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I think that's the thing with the cult, and the unfortunate part is they somehow have slipped through the cracks. Yeah. I mean, they're still around, man. They still they made a record just 2016, I think, that was pretty good. They've hung around. They've just broken up and gotten back together and all that stuff, and this was kind of their... Their moment. And this was produced by Bob Rock, who some of you may know as he was involved with Bon Jovi and later well known for uh, producing Metallica's Black Album, as well as Load and Reload, and later Saint Anger. <laughs> he played he played bass on Saint Anger actually. <laughs> <laughs> Sonic Temple was this was their fourth studio album as we kind of discussed, and it had Firewoman, Sun King was a hit, Sweet Soul Sister was another hit off of that one. It's kind of, you know, they're what they were trying here was blending their post-punk sound, their hard rock sound, some metal, and kind of who they were and who they were becoming, and it kind of fit in a little bit better with the hard rock scene of the late 80s. You know, this, this album had that sort of crunchy, electric-era 70s fuzz guitar stuff, a couple, you know, just a couple mellow ballads, and... Uh, I thought it was I thought it was a really good underrated album. Never got the credit it deserved. What did you think throughout? What were your first impressions of Ian Astbury, the singer, and the the sounds you were hearing? Well, you know, I hadn't heard Sun King, the opening track, before. So as soon as I heard that, my first thought was Jim Morrison. I was like, wow, this guy sounds a little bit like Jim back in the Doors days. And I looked up a looked up the band. He looks a little bit like him, even. I'm getting a very structured face and long hair. And... Really long hair back then. It was like down past his ass. Yeah, oh, yeah. So yeah, the Jim Jim Morrison thing was definitely there. Uh, it's great voice. You know, the band's pretty solid. Nothing too adventurous, at least to my ear on on the record sonically, which isn't a bad thing. They, they're solid. They play well together. Um, and when the songs like Fire Woman and, and Sweet Soul Sister are, are really catchy uh, in the choruses and stuff, it's it's really enjoyable listen. Yeah, yeah, I thought you might like it. I mean, it's bluesy and got sort of that hard rock grandiosity of the time. You know, they didn't have the big spray, you know, sprayed up hair, but, you know, they, uh, they toured for the album uh, before this, Electric. Their opening act was Guns N' Roses. Crazy. Yeah. Guns N' Roses, by the time that tour was over, I guess, their album sales had outpaced the cult. And uh, I think probably some, you know, trying to, to, as their sound evolved, trying to become part of what was going on. Because uh, like I said, their very first record did sound a little bit more post-punk 80s E to me. And this definitely sounded more modern. I think this still, I don't think this sounds dated today. Do you? Or, do you, or would you peg it as 80s rock? No, I, no, no, I wouldn't say so. You know, and, and I, the Jim Morrison thing is spot on. I mean, for a couple of reasons. One, Ian Asbury really is into, or in the early days here, Native American legend and stuff, and that's in a lot of the lyrics. And he got that from 
uh, Jim Morrison, I guess he was watching Apocalypse Now and heard the end, and that mm-hmm. be- became sort of an obsession with him. So he definitely had that vibe. Uh, additionally, when the Doors decided to go back out on tour as the Doors of the 21st Century without Jim Morrison, of course, they uh, had Ian Asbury fill in on vocals, and he did a pretty awesome job. We want to jump in and play uh, one more track here. Yeah, absolutely. We're going to play uh, the... Now, this is weird because I have the vinyl version, which only has 10 songs. The 11th song, which is on the CD version, is called uh, Medicine Train, and that's what we're going to listen to. I think it's a pretty cool song. So I struggled a little bit with what the meaning of that was, but I think it's about rock and roll because just a couple of bits from the lyrics, that part, the beginning actually says, standing on a stage, the boys started shaking, lip curled back, place started quaking. I think that's about Elvis. Then they're talking in that part, all fired up, a desolation angel shooting from a hip in the Sonic Temple. And I just, I I, I always love when a album that doesn't have the track name of the album name I like it when they throw it in there somewhere. Yeah, I like that too. I think that song's about rock and roll being the medicine train to make you feel good. But uh, who the hell knows? (laughs) Could be about just doing drugs. Could be. So all in all, I give. I think this is a a lost classic that more people should listen to. So please do check out the Cult Sonic Temple. Andy even liked it. Yeah, it's definitely an influential record, definitely an important part of uh, rock history, and it's good to listen to, so thanks, buddy. You're welcome, pal. What do you got to give? All right, I got another Sonic record here for you from the band The Sonics, and the record, Here Are The Sonics. My goodness, Woo! that is Psycho. That's one of the lead singles off their debut record in 1965. Quite a revolutionary sound for the time. That was even before I was alive, man. Let's <laughs> <laughs> go way back. <laughs> so they're from uh, Tacoma, Washington. They're a five-piece. They have a saxophone as well as an organ player mixed in the mix here. They're well known for being one of the first garage rock bands in existence. Um, they also mixed in some elements of punk. You know, you hear a lot of bands referencing them as being influential to their sound later on in the future decades. It's, uh, the music itself is fairly simple. It's all about the aggression, the rawness to it, the energy they bring to the table. A few guitar solos, but they're relatively brief. All these songs are under three minutes, which is 
awesome, I think. They started out as a cover band, playing a lot of, uh, you know, the popular tunes at the time. A lot of, uh, like, Little Richard and other popular blues and rock songs from the, the 60s. The production particularly on this record, is noteworthy because it's very, very basic. They went for, like... Yeah. yeah. (laughs) It's it's almost... I I think we have better equipment for this podcast than they probably had available to them. No, yeah, seriously. They had one mic for the entire drum kit. Uh, It was recorded on a two-track tape recorder. (laughs) Wow. You know, like their their friend, who's also their manager, you know, helped them out with the recording process. It was very, very basic. Um, I think that adds to it in a way, kind of like that very raw unhinged energy to it that they've got on here. Mm. Yeah, one of the signatures is that vocal screen that we heard on on the on Psycho there. Kind of this like unhinged like sounds a little like Little Richard. Um it just kind of erupts from their lead singer who like a guy by the name of uh Jerry Rosley. Uh he just screams all over this record and that kind of like Rah! just like very unexpected, kind of shocking. And especially at the time if you think about what was going on in music in the 60s, in the early 60s, screaming like that was not really something you'd expect to hear. <laughs> yeah, and and when you did, it was controlled sort of, you know, Beatles woos and stuff, not, un, you know, unabridged like what now is totally acceptable in rock and roll, which is screaming, like guttural. Yeah, it took me by surprise. I mean, some of this sounded very... Uh, of the era, you know, the jing, 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 jing kind of guitar mm-hmm. thing, you know. But the vocals, and in particular on their um, their original songs, the lyrics for the time were definitely a little more macabre than uh, than their contemporaries were at least willing to <laughs> release to the yeah, public. Yeah, yeah. A lot of these songs have kind of a dark tinge to them. You wouldn't... Once you kind of read through the lyrics, you may be a little taken aback by what they're singing about. But it's a, still a fun record, really high energy. It's a really loud record. I kept trying to turn it down, and no matter what volume I had it at, it was still sounded loud. Well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> this morning at about 7, 8 o'clock maybe, uh, the wife's getting up and walks past the office and hears, Rah! and she's just like, what? are you listening to? I said, it's Andy. Andy's fault. He picked it. (laughs) Blame it on me. (laughs) Yeah, so like you said, the record does have a fair share of covers on it, but it's probably like maybe, what, two-thirds original material? Maybe maybe half. That's very typical of the time, though. I mean, even the early Beatles records were three, four, five, six, you know, cover songs, songs that had been done by lesser-known groups at the time, Uh, you know, Twist and shout, and even that kind of stuff was not like written by the Beatles. Right, right. So it was pretty, pretty common because that way you could try and get played on the radio if you're doing a song that's known. Exactly, exactly. And they were they were trying to blow up, um, and they were pretty popular on the West Coast after this release came out. Um, they're really the only band that had this sound at the time. But they kind of things kind of fell apart after their next record in terms of their uh, record contract, and they never really got the big radio play that. That they perhaps could have. But let's jump in and play one of their original songs. This is towards the end of the record. This is called Strychnine. Strychnine 
got some fun jam in there. Yeesh. Got a good garage rock sound to it. <laughs> but these really dark lyrics. I mean, they're talking about drinking poison, and which I guess was somewhat acceptable at the time. Not maybe not in the sixties, but earlier in the eighteen <laughs> later early in the nineteenth century. Uh, I was like, I don't think so, man. <laughs> we don't see Don Draper doing uh doing ad <laughs> ad for, work uh, for poison. For rat poison. Nah, I guess it had some enhancing effects. As long as it was in moderation, obviously. But uh yeah, really interesting. Interesting record kinda of come out of the blue. I don't know. Once I got past kind of the initial shock of it, I, I started to really appreciate it and enjoy it more. Would you uh, listen to this, or what's your general takeaway? Yeah, I mean, I think I had read about it before, being a precursor to punk and all that kind of stuff. And, you know, it's funny that it's from the Pacific Northwest and how, you know, with the grunge movement in the 90s, there just that local music scene having sort of a little drearier take on things, which is uh, yeah. might be due to all the rain. <laughs> Of course, you know, within the 90s, they had Dr. Fraser Crane to help them with their blues. But before that, <laughs> you know, what are you going to do? Yeah, I liked it. I mean, like the covers, I, I, I could, you know, that's just part of the era. And I just had to deal with it. I don't really like hearing roll over Beethoven the 5,000th time by someone else. But I get it. You know, that's just what you did then. Good golly, Miss Molly. Did you notice they changed the lyrics? Yeah, they changed it up. like couple times throughout the the song right uh, yeah man and also one thing i could do without in in this era yeah. is the saxophone if they if they would make a saxophoneless remaster of this i'd be really <laughs> really down for yeah, it i kind of like the saxophone it gives them a little bit of a edge a little kind of stands out a little bit yeah i and i got i just have to keep in mind this is 1965 yeah. so it's not you know but it, it, if you took the, i mean it sounds like Garage rock, right. you know, modern garage rock bands wouldn't play saxophone. Oh, that's probably. true. That's true. <laughs> Maybe a little recorder, <laughs> little uh, hot cross buns. <laughs> Maybe in your garage rock band. <laughs> but yeah, man. I mean, I think that w- what we did here with this whole Sonic thing was we ended up with two really interesting records that were, you know, I know that the that the uh, cult album had more commercial success but i think they're underappreciated and i'm glad we dug them up yeah i think both bands were unappreciated um both in their time and as well as today and so it's good to good to get these names out there definitely really enjoyable listens on both records yeah man nice pick likewise dude sonic oh yeah <laughs> All right, coming up on the show next week, we're going to be doing our essential new wave of British heavy metal and... Wow, yeah! Wabba. I'm ready. <laughs> new album, I'm new ready. Album. And funk project that we've been doing in 2018, it's going to be part three. we got two more essential records picked out for you from those genres. We're going to dig into those and get our two cents in there. Sometimes I put in three cents, yeah. but I've got to... I've gotta... I've got to cut that back. <laughs> I was glad to have your spare change, buddy. Oh, well, somehow that made me feel weird. <laughs> I'm not sure. <laughs> <You're> <laughs> like slightly uncomfortable. Dirty, sticky change. Yeah. Ugh, <laughs> yuck. All right, that's enough of that. Jeez. All right, so even though you just had to listen to that weird uh, exchange, 
We are on all the usual social media channels. We won't talk about Sticky Change on Twitter or uh, on the Symbol Music Sharing Service. Or is that what it is? Is it music sharing? Yeah, you just share. I don't use it. song. (laughs) (laughs) It's like Instagram for music. It's pretty cool. Okay. All right. Word up. All right. And we're on Instagram also. It's at Album Nerds for all three of those. Uh, Please subscribe to the show on iTunes. Give us a a rating and maybe write up a nice little something about us that will help raise our profile there, get some more listeners. So we'd appreciate that. You can check us out on the Google Play Music and Stitcher Radio as well. And go to albumnerds.com. Check out our website. The shows are there. There's comment sections. You can interact with us and others. So please do that. We would love to hear from you. So once again, thank you for listening to the Album Nerds podcast. And I wish you... Adieu. See you next week, everybody. Bye.